and welcome to Shrinking Cities. My name is Hannah Donovan, and today we'll be discussing Louisville, Kentucky, and its past and present history of shrinkage, racialized criminalization, and proposed solutions moving into the future. I'm Lana Kalfas, and today we will be joined by Brent Ackerson and Sadiqa Reynolds, both of whom are on the ground working to improve the urban landscape of Louisville today. But before we bring on Sadiqa, let's look into how Louisville got here today. Louisville is currently home to dozens of companies in several industries. While it is a multi-industry city, the focus of the economy has been shipping and cargo because it is located in the center of the United States. UPS uses Muhammad Ali Airport as its air freight hub. It is also located at the crux of three major highways, thus further emphasizing its commitment to cargo and shipping. Let's take a look at Louisville's historic Walnut Street and how it changed the urban fabric of the city. Walnut Street was once home to a booming and thriving African-American community. However, as nationwide tactics of urban renewal invaded the streets of Louisville, Walnut Street experienced a tragic decline that is emblematic of the devolution of the city as a whole. Let's take a look at WHA 11's Louisville's Old Walnut Street, a Black History Retrospective. As soon as you hit that and turn west, you know, it was like Eureka. You know, it was like my yellow brick road. Stretching from 6th Street to the west, Walnut Street was row after row of banks, restaurants, nightclubs, apartments, homes, and people. Anyone who came to Louisville, I can believe you, that if they were black, touched Walnut Street because it was the heart. Louisville's Walnut Street, now Muhammad Ali Boulevard, is a shell of a once vibrant neighborhood. Out of nearly 150 buildings and homes, one remains. By the late 1960s, the destruction was easy, quick, and unchallenged. Urban renewal, the 1950s and 60s federal program designed to save cities by tearing out blocks of old buildings, hit Walnut Street hard. In a short four-year period, the seven blocks, more than 100 buildings, from 6th to 13th, were leveled. Urban renewal came through, and it just destroyed the whole area, meaning relationships were lost. This shell of a community did not come about by natural occurrences. Walnut Street is representative of the consequences from shrinkage produced through the processes of urban renewal. Racially targeted poverty, redlining, and even criminalization contribute to the destruction and downfall of these once booming historical streets. On March 13th of this year, a botched police raid, which resulted in the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor, a 26-year-old Black medical worker in her home in Louisville, brought the city's legacy of racialized inequality to the national stage. This summer, hundreds of people took to the streets to protest and express their outrage at Breonna's unjust death. The Black Lives Matter movement, which resurged with full force this summer, epitomizes the culmination of the decades-long effects of racialized urban policies on communities of color across the U.S. As citizens and activists continue to take action and demand reform from Louisville city officials, there is one question on the forefront of our minds. What is Louisville going to do about it? 
Here to speak with us today about the urban policies which led to the tragic and unnecessary murder of Breonna Taylor and the steps being taken or not taken by the Louisville city government is Brent Ackerson, Louisville's 26th district councilman, chair of the Metro Council's Government Oversight and Audit Committee, and member of the Budget Committee. Hello? Hello. Hi, is this Brent? Yes, it is. Hi, Brent. Thanks so much for calling. This is Lana. <laughs> so I'm actually here with my classmate, Grace. Hi, I'm um, Grace. <laughs> we're both uh, Urban Studies students at Barnard. Um, and right now we're making a podcast. And we're hoping you could give us a little bit of context um, that we didn't find in our research. So to get started, uh, we were just wondering, what's your relationship to Louisville? Look at Louisville my whole life. Okay. Louisville my whole life except for when I went away to law school. How did a city with what seemed to be a booming multi-industry economy start to shrink? Did you notice any patterns of shrinkage or any things over your time within Louisville? Well, the city probably first started shrinking back in, uh, you know, uh, when we merged. I'd say probably uh, the school system is probably the biggest in the heart in Louisville. Uh, essentially, uh, it was a, became, I would have called it, a, maybe a second round of white flight. Uh, you know, as far as the segregation, the city is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was initial white flight uh, probably, uh, I'd say, back in maybe the 50s, 60s, somewhere around there. And then uh, when we did Jefferson County Public Schools, uh, we in de- desegregation of the school systems, uh, we saw even more folks, uh, what I'd call white flight, and even, you know, moving out of the out of the uh, city limits, uh, moving out into the surrounding counties, Bullitt, Spencer, Shelby, Oldham counties, things like that. Um, I want to say the population was probably, in, at that point, because we didn't have merged governments, so the population at that point in downtown Louisville was probably something along the lines of 400,000. Uh, in the year 2000, it was probably down to around 250,000. Wow, yeah. I mean, in the research that we've done on uh, Louisville today, the, some of the economic and residential segregation that we see definitely has its roots in, in those processes of white flight that you're talking about. Um, but we were wondering specifically about the merger, uh, the annexation of Jefferson County. We were wondering what led to the decision to merge with Jefferson County and what that process of annexation was like, if the strategy met the goals uh, that, the city, that the city intended to reach at the onset. Well, they tried multiple times over, you know, a period of probably close to 50 years to, to merge Louisville and Jefferson County. Uh, and what it really boiled down to is uh, a lot of Louisville communities respect their independence. And so there was a, a uh, tremendous concern when merger, every time merger would come up. Uh, this last go around was an interesting twist. We're a merged government, but we're really it's more of a quasi-merged government because we still have so many small suburban cities. Uh, when the state legislature passed the, the, the merger laws, essentially uh, the end result was, you know, there couldn't be any annexation until 2015. It was prohibited. So since 2015, there really hasn't been a whole lot of annexation taking place. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a small neighborhood. Uh, and the reality is, is a lot of this annexation that's been taking place uh, here in the last couple of years it hasn't been going to Metro Louisville. It's been going to uh, to small, like yeah, smaller cities like Je- City of Jefferson, Town, things like that. City of St. Matthews. Right, right. So um, 
That's really interesting that you say that the process of annexation has either been halted or just slow to come or just just kind of unsuccessful. Um, but regardless, how have these how have these dim, like calls for annexation and attempts at merging how has that influenced the racial divide and funding flow from the Louisville city government or metro- metropolis government? Well, it's you know one of the reasons for this, this merger we have right now was essentially uh, the city of Louisville was was getting poorer and, and blacker uh, because of the racial divide. And, and so the question really boiled down to merging government served two purposes. One is it brought a, a, a more of a shared tax base to help support downtown and, uh, and the actual inner city. And at the same time, uh, you know, it's for commercial purposes, trying to make us more appealable, being a larger uh, metropolis, you know, merged government uh, to any outside businesses, mm-hmm. you know, versus uh, the problem here is ultimately is still the anonymity of, of, of unincorporated areas. At the end of the day, the urban service district being the actual, you know, former city of local boundaries isn't getting its fair share. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, Louisville has had a lot going on the past few months. How have the goals of the city government shifted since the death of Breonna Taylor and the process which began the summer and are still ongoing? Uh, the goals of the city have shifted in the sense that the people are, are, are being more sensitive, uh, more aware. I mean, the reality is, is uh, racial disparities have been around for, for, for forever. Uh, right. Politicians talk about them. They do little things here or there. Uh, Breonna Taylor's uh, situation has brought it to a to a forefront. Mm-hmm. So the real question now is, is what comes from this? I mean, in the past, when we've had uh, racial issues ignite, not to the level that, uh, that Breonna Taylor ignited to. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've done little things here or there, and that's in, the end result is the community moves on. So there's no real reform. The question from this situation that's still yet to be determined is will there be real reform? And not small little reforms, you know, not little little things here or there to subside, you know, communities or subside, subside protests. I mean, the question is, is will the, the, the needle really move this time in a, you know, in a serious manner? While well-intentioned, the Louisville city government attempts to pool and evenly redistribute Louisville Metro's resources have been misguided and realities of segregation, lacking resources, public health disparities, and criminalization are still very present in Louisville's primarily black urban neighborhoods. However, we'd be remiss to not acknowledge the people and grassroots organizations who are putting in the work to create the equitable Louisville they want to see. Here with us today, President and CEO of Louisville's Urban League, Sadiqa Reynolds, has made it her mission to address these harmful disparities that stem from the racialization of urban policies in Louisville. Following the incident of Brianna Taylor's death from Louisville Metro PD, Sadiqa, along with dozens of other Louisville grassroots organizers, drafted a petition titled A Path Forward for Louisville, urging Mayor Greg Fisher and the city's public officials to recognize and address the long-term urban issues from discrimination, such as disparities in education, incarceration, and poverty. Hi, Sadiqa. Thank you so much for coming into our podcast today to talk about the history and present of criminalization and policing in Louisville. What is your scope of work within the Louisville Urban League and what do you think is most important in maintaining the Urban League? 
especially for the surrounding community. So I'm the president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League, and our focus is on jobs, justice, education, health, and housing. So part of what I have to do in order to do all of my work is to be able to fundraise. I have to raise and write grants to be able to fund the work that we do. And I have literally had donors tell me they would not support the work because of some position we've taken. You just have to respect that and let them move on because you don't want to be so tied to any investment that you end up in a situation where you're not free to represent the people you're supposed to represent. Huh, that's really interesting. Do you think that there are current issues that you wish you could focus on more, especially in regards to the current pandemic? We haven't done enough of. We haven't pushed hard enough to really get that very low income housing that people need. And we see that the housing authority has wait lists that are tremendous. Those lists are too long. People can't wait three or four years. And with COVID, especially now, if you are homeless, that child doesn't have a school because in Louisville, Kentucky right now, we're not in school. You know, our public school system is virtual. So you don't have a school, you don't have a home. So it's, it is a very complicated um, thing. And I think there's been a struggle between housing advocates here. You seem to touch on one of the key issues in regards to the current pandemic and the inequality that it fosters, especially to the homeless in Louisville and even across the nation. How have you seen this inequality also appear in the midst of COVID-19? Here we are in a pandemic in March. We find ourselves in a situation where we don't know if we are coming or going. We don't know. We, we all kind of believe the rumor that it's just rich white people, really, with this disease initially. Because everybody we heard about in Louisville that had it was had been traveling or somewhere. Well, it turns out <laughs> it's everybody. And like anything else, white people catch cold, black people got the flu. And we're dying more. And this is serious. And how does the ongoing over-policing and criminalization contribute to and exacerbate the segregation seen through financial disparities in Louisville? Because of the over-policing, I think you can never forget what police were created for, that they were slave patrol. And I don't think they've moved from that completely. And so you have poor communities that are so over-policed. People think just about over-policing in ways that, that they think about it like, oh, if they weren't selling drugs and it wouldn't happen. It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's living in a community where you're constantly a suspect and everything costs you money. It's, it's waking up in the morning and, and the police deciding they're going to tow all the cars. A whole lot of people, if they wake up in the morning and their car is gone and impounded, they cannot go to work that day. They cannot take their parent wherever they need to go, and they can't get it right back. And every day that you leave your car at the impoundment lot, there's another fee. It's overwhelming. That's what happens in communities that are over-policed. And you don't get any reduction in crime. You don't get any reduction in crime. Mm. This is incredibly relevant today, as COVID and Breonna Taylor's death culminated into the situation and frustration felt in the Black community through discriminatory practices such as criminalization. In regards to the path forward for Louisville that you created in collaboration with dozens of other grassroots organizations, how do you envision the role of community members in the process of dismantling the current racialized system of policing and in creating a new just system? Just to be clear about how the path forward started, 
that group came together initially as community members who were trying to run or were running nonprofits and needed to understand how to keep their businesses open to continue to serve. And then out of COVID grew, damn, these police officers are still killing us. Did you all see this? How are you feeling psychologically? Can we talk? It was all black leaders on the phone. There was nobody white. It was just black. It was us. And we were saying, I'm exhausted. And we were each other's oxygen mask. And then from that grew, what are we going to do about these police? And then from that grew the path forward because we knew we were going to be asked, well, what is it that you really want? And we didn't want anybody to be confused to think all we care about is police reform because all of these systems are corrupt and unjust. So that's what it was about for us. So communities in there. Sadiqua paints a clear image of how over-policing impacts the lives of Black residents in Louisville and prevents them from upward mobility or a sense of security. However, the current and standing issue in Louisville isn't simply contained in that one problem. It goes beyond the over-policing. We must address all of these corrupt and unjust systems that lead to this racial inequality seen through the social and financial disparities. Sadiqa's insights showed us that Louisville's residents and leaders are no longer willing to accept the city's legacy of disinvestment and criminalization of its Black residents, nor the government's mistargeted and evasive attempts at revitalization. Speaking to Sadiqa opened our eyes to the multitude of grassroots organizers proposing specific, holistic solutions to the issues facing the city's isolated Black community today, not only focusing on police reform, but intersecting vectors of inequality, such as education support, affordable housing, and trauma-literate healthcare. However, one of Brent's responses raised a conflicting but sober concern about this shrinking city's government's ability to implement these changes. When we asked him if he or his colleagues had heard of the Path Forward for Louisville petition, an action plan it proposes, this was his response. We've all seen it, and at the end of the day, that'll be up to the administration of, of you know, uh, to drive that, that situation in that direction. You know, uh, have I seen a whole lot of, of action movement? Not a lot. Well, there's been a lot of a lot of talk. Right. There's been a lot of, of, of meeting groups and right. people discussing things. Uh, as far as tangible, solid action, uh, there really hasn't been a whole lot. You know, uh, right. we were trying to hire a new police chief. Uh, we've got outside consultants telling us, so there's, you know, it's too early to judge, right? you know, how good of an outcome will come from the civil unrest. But the reality is, is we've got to be honest with ourselves, the needle hasn't moved that much. We, we banned no-knock warrants, but I mean, that's, that's a, a, you know, we can't champion that like somehow right. we've done something great. I mean, A, that should have been done anyway. And number two, is that's, that's a, a drop in the bucket. I mean, we're still in the situation, you know, yeah. we're still in the rippling effects of Breonna Taylor's death and all of the movement that was spurred after. And it sounds almost like before concrete things, maybe leaders are targeting a cultural shift, which is also important, but not complete. And one of the problems ultimately is, is, is the financial situation of the city. Right. You know, you, in, in great times, you can do, you can make great moves because you can invest. Right. The problem is ultimately is we consistently don't have enough dollars to do what we need or should do. Mm. Uh, 
and you say we need to be investing more in racial uh, justice and equity. On the flip side, we're also been had, you know, part of the problem with, with, with our police department here is, is, is the underfunding and understaffing for, for so long. Mm. You know, you hear folks say defund the police, and you, and, you know, the reality is that can't happen. And, uh, you know, we've got we've to be able to, to hire better officers, uh, retain qualified people, which enables, enables us to, to weed out the bad seeds. But at the same time, in order to do that, you know, what some folks aren't going to like is we're going to have to put more money over into law enforcement. Political and city officials may have a different approach to addressing and solving this issue than what community members may envision, but the important part is first recognizing the problem and coming together to find a solution. Brent Ackerson and Sadiq Reynolds may have conflicting plans, but overall they want the same outcome. Instead, Sadiqa even points out the real issue lies in the lack of cooperation between both sides. What we don't do enough of in this country and in this city is collaboration to say, where can we meet? How can we work together? Because we're all right. All of it needs to happen. But how do we work together? This is vital to consider since Louisville has faced years of urban planning failures, including the annexation of Jefferson County, along with governmental inaction, which established a cycle of standard, uncreative urban planning intervention. Instead of sticking to one approach, such as the ones that Brent or Sadika lays out, we must collaborate with one another to formulate a plan that works for everyone. Will 2020's revolution reach the heart of Louisville and push leaders to work together towards equity? Or will those in positions of power let this opportunity pass them by? I guess we and the rest of the United States will all find out together. Thank you for joining us today on another episode of Shrinking Cities, and we encourage you to think about and take action on fighting the racial inequality that is rooted in our urban fabric through voting and becoming involved with various organizations. We would also like to thank Brent Ackerson and Sadiqa Reynolds for joining us, along with audio from WHAS 11. And if you would like to find out more about A Path Forward for Louisville, go visit apathforwardforlou.org. That's a path forward, the number four, lou.org. Thanks and have a great day.